Welcome back to the Apprentice One to One podcast. This is one that we are putting together especially for Amendment Two and especially for the apprentices out there. And I'm going to introduce the, the guests on this one because I've realized this is a new channel and maybe you don't know who we are. So I'm Mark from Apprentice One to One, Mark the Sparky as well over on YouTube. We've got Jamie Blayton with us, who has also got a YouTube channel, The Information Torpedo. Go and check that one out. He is a practicing lecturer and a sparky on the tools. And we also have Craig Boost with us, who is the head of Waltham Stores Electrical Department. He's probably got a grander title than that, to be fair to him. So I'll let him maybe tell you that one as well in a second. And Craig is also active out on the tools here and there as well. We are all time-served electricians. And we oh, want to- cards. Got, oh, got gold cards. Getting that one in there. Got the old gold cards. But we want to give our feedback on what we've taken in from Amendment 2. And I want to say right at the outset, I haven't read the whole brown book. It's been a busy day of work, so I've skimmed through it and taken in some of the other content that's out there. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll delve into areas of it and link it into the apprenticeship system uh, as well. Before we get on with that, though, I wanted to quickly mention about the Domestic Electrician Apprenticeship. It's something I've been banging on about. I dropped an episode out earlier on this week, just giving my opinions on what's gone on there. And it's really just to say that this is a divine scope of training and it is going to be defined on your gold card when you get one, that you are a domestic electrician. I just wanted to put that out there on this particular podcast. Anything you've seen to that one? Yeah, I think that's important because lots of different conversations are happening about well, what will happen in commercial, what will happen with this gold card. And I think we spoke about this before, that a gold card is just recognition that you have done a level three MVQ. The reason it's so heavily spoken about in the electrical industry is because we no longer have a level two NVQ equivalent that would have got you a blue card. So you have a gold card or you don't, which yeah. means you've done an NVQ or an apprenticeship or you haven't. And other trades have different allowances to that, which is fine, but that doesn't mean that there's only one gold card in the whole industry. Like we need to look at what it's there for. You know, firing, fire alarm engineers get gold cards. Data comms engineers get gold cards. It's the whole piece. And for me, if somebody's going to do a three-year or four-year program, depending on the debates and conversations you're watching online, then why is that a bad thing? Why is that bad compared to a six-week, 10-week, 12-week, four-step program, whatever other ways it wants to be marketed to getting into the industry? I, it doesn't make sense to me personally. No, I don't so, want to dwell, dwell on that for too long, but I know that, like, for the minute, in Apprentice One to One, I have a lot of people coming to me who can't get all of the experience they need to complete the traditional NVQ and apprenticeship, and it's kind of fudged with a little bit of experience with someone here and there for a few weeks, and then they end up with the gold cards that says they can do everything when maybe they can't. So being more defined in what you've actually been trained to do and had experience of is a, is a good thing for me. Before we move on, anything you want to add on that, Jamie? Yeah, um... I've had a thought about this. So if you remember the good old days when we come through, everything was passive. Yeah. Everything was just lights, sockets and just stuff. And that was on commercial, commercial and domestic. And as things got more complicated, people see arsebash as being low, lower technicals. The lowest tech in a, in a big install, like an Amazon warehouse or a massive factory would be lights and sockets. Yeah. And for years and years, asses have been very passive. Now they're getting very active. There's a lot of technology in them. And it's just all these miserable twats that can't accept that arses are getting quite snazzy now and there's a lot more going off. So maybe they do need to split it because what was some lights and some sockets is now heat pumps and solar and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going into it all, but 
all the miserable old people that are moaning need to accept the trade is changing and houses are going to get quite technology advanced and we will yeah. need to separate people for that to do that. And I don't want to wallop cottages, to be honest, so more mm -hmm. fun for them. Yeah, and we'll come back to this and maybe speak about it on a special episode as well. I know me and Craig spoke with Neil over on the Spark show. We gave our first insight on that. Maybe when the actual meet on the burn's been released, we'll come together mm. and have a chat about it as well. But to move on with the Amendment 2, there is loads of content that's been shared today. Two of the ones I've really enjoyed watching have been the very brief and snappy ones, the one from eFix and the one from Learning Lounge. I don't know if you two have watched those, but 10-minute little segments that give you a broad overview of some of the main changes. And I think that's something that I would recommend everyone goes off and takes a look at because it's 10 minutes here and there. You can do that on a, on a tea break before you get into the meat and buns and the regs. And some of the key points that they've picked out, we're going to talk about here and maybe expand on. So I'm, I would kind of start at the beginning, if you like, with some of the definitions. I know Craig's got something to say on this in the way that what is recommended is now maybe been defined as a should. And that has wider implications later on with some of these changes. So do you want to pull that one up first, Craig? Yeah, so for me, and I am looking so I can remember all the terms because likewise, I've only got this today. I haven't had any prior insight. There's, there's a table that I think is easily going to be missed by lots of people on page 18 of Amendment 2. And in the regs, it starts to talk about what the terms inside the wiring regs actually mean. And it goes everywhere from requirement, recommendations, permission, possibility and capability, just possibility and in description. And it's giving you what they actually mean in term, but in real life terms. So something as simple as what says recommendations in the regs, as you said, Mark, now means should. And actually it's a very different sentence if you say recommended to install SPD and you change that to say you should install SPD. It's almost like that change of one word or your change of your understanding of that one word because it still will say recommendation next to the regulation actually to defend yourself if something went wrong which is something we have to think about then saying oh I didn't do it because it was recommended or I didn't do it even though I knew I should have done it is two completely different contexts in my opinion and I just think where it is means it could easily be missed if people are skipping through all the sort of forwards and things and just getting straight to the chapters of scope, then you're going to miss that as you're going through the book. So I think it's important people go and look at that on page 18. Absolutely, mate. You make a fantastic point there that we can all get bogged down with some of the finer points of what's actually changed and miss the real basics. And like we all know, you had this recommended and shall before, so there's the clear differentiation between the two. And now maybe those waters are muddied a little bit when it is still recommended. Perhaps we should be doing it because that does totally change the context of a sentence, as Craig's just said. Anything to add on that, Jamie, before we move on? Why not just say should then? Yeah. <laughs> like, why make it so hard? Uh, this, uh, uh, one of my things I'm going to do, of course, I always say in this game, you've got to be on top of your terminology. You need to know what's what because very similar phrases mean very similar technical things. But when it's just pure, plain English, like recommend and should just say it why do i have to mess around and define the word and uh, why do i have to define a normal english word separately from everyone else i don't get it but just and say I, should and i had this conversation at work today and my take on it i sit on no boards no organizers it's purely just my opinion of take is there's only so far you can go to constrain the engineering judgment mm. and by still saying recommendation albeit you know you should 
it potentially still gives you that bit of wiggle room as the engineer on site to be able to say, actually, I know I should put this in here, but because of X, Y, and Z, these are the reasons why I'm not. And therefore, for me, you've clearly justified that the uh, people talk about the regs in different ways of basic standards and this, that, and the other. For me, they're a guide as to making sure you are compliant, but you still have to apply your engineering judgment to it. If you just put everything in that it says on paper in the book, that for me is almost worse than sort of using your own judgment on the situation. As we know, uh, and then the oldest part of you know, this is just RCDs all over again. This is 20 years ago again with FDD. So if they're that important, just say should, bang them in, the cost will come down quicker and we'll just crack on with FDDs. But this, there's always this messing around at the start, like with new technology. But if they're that good, if they're going to save all these fires, just crack them in. But I don't suppose the IT went upside down, do they? They've got other people to keep happy and stuff, I suppose. I think that's learned experience when they've made the changes with RCDs and the bus <laughs> that was kicked up at that time, mate, to be honest. But it was. But we're doing it again, aren't we? We should all realise yeah. now that we can't live in the dark ages or we'd all be sticking in 3036 domino fuses still, wouldn't we? We're just under the regs, by the way, for anyone says they're illegal, but I'll, yeah. I'll burn that, I'll do that later. I think it's yeah, pretty... just, just crack on with it. I think it's probably like a gentle introduction so electricians can get used to them a little bit and maybe the wholesalers can get used to the specification. I don't know. There's going to be this issue as well when we go out to fault find with AFDDs and we can't get to the bottom of what's actually affecting that circuit because it could be some white goods that only kicks up a stink every so often. So that is a really complex thing that we're going to have to start learning how to deal with. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one with the AFDDs. But the problem we with them is, oh, sorry, mate. the problem no, with them is, which, which you want to nip in the bud because it's already been said by David Savory, yeah, is, and I, I'm going to quote him, I think this is virtually what he said, yeah, they brought in a brand spanking new British standard protected device and they didn't even bother to standardise the lights on the front. It's pathetic the way they brought it in and they should be ashamed of them at the British standards for that. They should have all had the same colour light on and indicate the same things if it didn't. So already it's a cake and arse part, I'm afraid. I think they're safer, but why did we miss something like that? It's ridiculous. Yeah, well understood process of the way that they identify how they've operated would have been very sensible mm. in the way that traffic lights work. If we just had a yeah. system that everybody <laughs> knew, it was kind of something we could teach as electricians <laughs> to our customers, whereas you might be installing a brand from one manufacturer one week and another the next. It's really difficult. I'm but nicking that off you, Mark. I'm nicking that off you for teaching. Then I could go like, I was down call with a ran someone over because the traffic lights are different, you know? <laughs> you wouldn't say it, would you? But yeah, why would it do that is beyond me. I still uh, think there's a lot to learn about AFDDs as to how they're actually going to react within the electrical system. Um, I'm looking forward to the, the more research and more information you hear about coming out as to how how effective they actually are. I hope they are effective. Mm. I hope it is that next step in safety, but I do hear murmurs of them maybe not as effective as what we're hoping yeah. they will be. It's a learning journey for us, I think. Certainly in the American market where the currents are higher and the voltage is lower, they have a much bigger benefit than perhaps we're going to see on our electrical systems, but time will tell on that. We'll come back to AFDDs anyway. Before we get onto that, I want to speak about the changes around RCDs, because Jamie just said, 17th edition, there was a big stink about all that. I've been involved in discussions on Twitter to do with testing of RCDs over the last few months um, and how that's impl implicating us as electricians and what we should and shouldn't be doing. Also with the RCD socket fronts as well, if they actually comply with what's in the regs, all of that has been nipped in the bud and sorted out in this amendment. I think that's a good thing. At least we actually know what the state of play is. So your RCD socket fronts are now accepted for additional protection. They've actually 
put that in there as, as fact. So you don't have to put an RCD up front. That was giving us some sort of error in terminology. Um, and also when you're testing your RCDs, you no longer have to do them at five times. And um, you don't have to do them at the 180 degree phase at five times as well. So it's just that one times test. And as long as you get under 300 milliseconds, then that's considered an acceptable result. And my own view on that is it's because the testing we were doing out on, on site wasn't a replication of what the manufacturer testing was in their product and type testing to 61008, for example. And we were failing RCDs that essentially had nothing wrong with them. So they've kind of made that tweak there. I think that's essentially what's happened. So I don't know if you two have put anything up on testing, that. It was testing. That was the specification for AC type, weren't it? And people were using that specification to test other types, which you don't compile with. So I think that's yeah. there's a really good video on that by eFix. I didn't know that. So I've yeah. that video. It was a bit that's of the one with uh, Mega and Luden. And, and the, the IT uh, guy. Yeah, no. they all came together. But even, again, the eFix video today, Joe mentioned about that to do with the RCD testing. It's just tested in the applicable RCD type you've got, and you just need to do it at the delta N rating of that RCD as well. So Not if the I'm getting a belt, RCD. have I got to hang on for 10, 10, 100% longer now? Is that right? <laughs> well, this is it. It's <laughs> that it's an assumption that the, the testing that's been done at a product standard level by the manufacturer is far and above what we can simulate with our multifunction testers. And I think a lot of that is maybe manufacturers of test equipment trying to give us more functions on our instruments to do testing and fault finding. But that's kind of navigated its way into what we're doing as a process for testing after we've installed a system, for example, when really the measurements we're taking aren't that valid or helpful. So obviously those- I think it's, sorry, Mark, I was gonna say, I think it's differentiating that as well, isn't it? Nobody's saying you can't still use a five times test if you go and fault finding. Yeah. No one's saying you can't be testing different phases of the RCD, but it clarifies the requirement of what you must do to put on your certificate with none of the ambiguity in between mm. going through that. And testing for me has been quite an important theme throughout this amendment because I'm sure we'll come on to those other changes to other tests and other requirements. And clarity can only be a positive thing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And from that leads us in, I guess, with the, the clarity around the types of RCD and the uses and what you can't use anymore. And again, all these things are just steps to improving the safety of the electrical installation. So two, two that stood out for me on that was the type A RCDs now being your sort of standard RCBOs that you need to fit, making sure that type AC is not used in domestic properties because I think lots of people don't think about DC leakage in a washing machine if you've got a digital display, for example and how that can impact the electrical circuit if you've only got AC-type RCDs on there. And I'm sure there'll be lots of people who can try and dispel that myth about what does blind and what doesn't blind RCDs and what does and doesn't work, but the regs are clear in their request to us now as to type A RCDs to be fitted and AC to be put in the bin effectively. Yeah, and they've kind of given us the change in the where we can risk assess away RCDs as well, haven't they? I think is it BA1, BA2, mm. and for circuits that children might be using as well, where we now have to provide RCD protection regardless. So there's been a little tweak there as well, I think, hasn't there? Mm. Yeah, and the other tweak around them was to do with split load boards, the infamous old split load boards. And actually, I think it says recommended, but don't quote me, now recommending all final circuits have their own sort of RCBO protection at the end of them, trying to encourage RCBO boards over the split load boards, although you, if you really want, you can still fit them 
on yeah. the front of that reg, um, it, you know, initially, and I'm talking to trainees now specifically, it, it can it sounds like it's been downgraded, but I'm, I need to look into it more. So it sounds it sounds a bit like it's been a downgrade. Does that make sense? Is that just me that sees it like that? Sounds like the, the amount of time's gone up. There's less tests. It seems like we've we've got a downgrade, but I'm I'm keen to see how that plays out in the real world. So don't. But initially, I thought it sounds like we're doing less. We're not being as good as we were, yeah. but I'd be keen to see how that plays out and get to know more about the technical side of it. To be honest, exactly. I think that that's that's a valid point you've raised. We're doing less testing. They're allowed to trip at a slower time, supposedly. So you know, how does that play out in terms of what we're doing as electricians? And I think that's an acceptance that what we do out on site can't replicate what can be done by a manufacturer in a factory. The same way they're going to test AFDs, AFDDs, MCBs, contactors, all sorts of the other mm. components we install. We've just kind of been on this journey through the years of testing our CDs in the way we have, and now it's changing. It can feel a little bit strange. And like Jamie said, we need to look into it a little bit more ourselves and satisfy ourselves that what we're doing is the right thing, I suppose. From a I suppose commissioning it's like... I suppose it's like the cars, isn't it? Years ago, you'd service your own car, get the feeder gauges out and all that kind of stuff, but they've got so advanced now, you can't do it yourself. It needs to be done at that stage. So I suppose that's the way it's getting and going with these things. And nobody's saying, from my understanding, nobody's saying they're not still going to be tested in the same requirements. You know, when they're in the factory, they probably are still going through five times tests. They probably are still mm. having to disconnect in certain tolerances. But as Mark said, can we reliably reproduce that on site every day? Or are we saying that we trust the manufacturers have gone through a rigorous testing process to a set standard, and therefore we are almost just checking the compliance on our end to that standard that they are testing at my point of manufacture? I think that's ultimately ultimately it, mate. Um, anything to add on RCDs before we move on to the SPD changes? No. <laughs> so the SPD one is, um, you know, before you could kind of risk assess away the SPD as an electrician yourself now, it's a lot more difficult to do that. From my understanding, the kind are going to need to be installed unless your end user is happy to sign a declaration that they don't want one. That's the way I've read all of that. I don't know if you think any different on that one. Hey, with me. I'm just looking something up here. Okay. In the meantime, I'll, I'll do the I'll do the TV advert stopgap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't think SPDs ever should have been risk assessed. Personally, I think it. You know, especially in domestic properties, for how much they cost to actually put in the board, to fit them in the board, is it really worth the damage to your equipment and everything else? And actually, the risk assessment declaration worries me as an electrician on my own personal trade, um, because what is actually strong enough to stand up in a court if the customer is trying to sue you to say, you made me sign this bit of paper, but I didn't understand what it was, and therefore you've damaged my... I don't know, my 15 grand car or whatever it may be. And now, actually, I'm going to still try and take you to court and have all of that legal battle for the sake of a £50 module kind of thing to go in a board. I think, personally, I'd rather walk away from the job than go down that declaration route. But that is just a personal opinion. I think SPD should be there all the time. You got your intel, did you, Jamie? Yeah, I do this a lot when I'm teaching. You see the book there? I'll try to get it down the spot. I'll try to show it to myself, but um, the camera's there. You see the spine? Yeah? You see that bit, that thick bit there? That's all the shit about RCDs you've never in the book anyway. They're so cheap, you should have just banged them in. Why did we need to have all this crap and complex complexity? Just stick them in. They're like 50 quid. It was a total waste of a section, that was. Total waste of paper. And I thought that the first time I read it. I was like, these are so cheap, you should have banged them in as standard. 
And I'm glad they've got rid of all that shunk, to be honest. That's it. When they first came out, you know, they were of a certain price, but now we've seen the scale of production, I guess, as other manufacturers have got involved as well. Now you can get them for 25 quid. I've seen them. Has anyone done that equation? Have you seen that equation? Well, it, like the length of the transformer cables, you ain't got bugger all chance of finding that out. Anyone that says they've done that calculation is either a liar or has been illegally entering their substations to measure up the cables. So it just always seemed odd. And I'm glad they got rid of it, to be honest. At a domestic level, like Craig said, we just we just fit them, to be honest. It's, it's not worth it. On a commercial install, it can be more complex because as you get further into an installation, their effectiveness is diminished quite rapidly and you have to start looking at different types of SPDs and it can be more complex. But certainly on a domestic level, stick a Type 2 in at the intake at the very least. And, but on, the, on the flip of that, like I say, just stick that Type 2 in on a domestic because that does the job. If you're going to do a commercial... You'll ring up one of the manufacturers, say, spec this up for me, and they'll do it for no anyway. So you're not any worse off because they'll do it for no because they want to sell you some stuff. So it just always seemed to be a waste of time. Why would you put your balls on the chopping board for that calculation when someone will do it for you? Or you could just do it as standard. So yeah, I'm glad to see the back of that one, to be honest. I think if you explain it properly as well, I think it's hard to see why somebody would say no. Because everything, everything's <laughs> in, is in perspective for me. So what's 50 pounds in a domestic dwelling? Might be, let's be silly and go a thousand pounds in a commercial property, but the commercial property's got a lot more to lose. And actually, a thousand pounds to them in context is probably the equivalent of 50 pounds in domestic. But, you know, it depends what it's protecting, depends if they've got lightning protection on the buildings and all sorts of other things. So we do have to be able to do the risk assessment. But generally speaking, in a domestic premises, they should be in as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, the I think only it's a welcome change. The only good that can come of it is I can't stand tight people. And I would love someone to turn one down for me to then go around their ass two months later when their iPhones are all fucked. Every single bit of electronic their ass has blown up and go, well, sorry, mate, you shouldn't spend that 50 quid, should you? It would be brilliant, but that's because I'm a horrible bastard. But yeah, why wouldn't you? Do you want to wreck every single bit of electronics in your house? No, even I've put one in and my fuse board is terrible. But I've stuck one in because I don't want to be that guy that didn't spend 50 quid to protect all his delicate electronics, which is basically everything. Makes sense, doesn't it? It really does. <laughs> totally. Like, my fuse board's plastic. I've got sockets hanging off the walls. Yeah, my house is a horror, but I've put an SPD in because I don't want to wreck all my electronics. It's a no-brainer. So that's kind of the SPDs covered off. The other big changes we've had was to do with the fire rules and the Appendix 13 to do with escape and fire protection. That's gone in there as well. And primarily the changes seem to be removing that emphasis on electricians to make the decision around what um, would be a sensible approach in terms of fire protection and push that back at the designers and maybe architects as well on those jobs. I remember way back when having this discussion on Monday Club actually about using red plugs in concrete um, to secure metal fixings and I was just like we really shouldn't be making that that decision as electricians that's not our strong point we need some help with that from structural engineers and stuff um, and it, look, it looks like the regs are kind of saying that as well maybe in a more complex way than i'm suggesting with that example but that's that was a good change i think but my understanding to that now if you're now an electrical designer then i think you're caught in this real hybrid situation because actually my brief understanding of it is that it's about having things in the ceiling, it's about having things in the voids, cables and cable runs and whatever else. Designing around that, if you're in a hotel, a hospital, some sort of more complex installation, is going to be quite a tricky job as an electrical designer. Because yes, you'll probably be told 
these are the five routes, these are the escape plans. This is where you need to make sure you're complying with your five eggs. But when you start to actually look at how you design that install, that could become quite complex and tricky, I would suggest. Yeah. I need to read more around that to mm. understand it more. But I think that's that's quite a big change for a lot of the industry if you're designing your own installations. I think the idea is it ties in a bit stronger with other trades as well because we'll have seen i've certainly seen on site data guys for example not using fire supports on their cabling same um with some of the the tv cabling and stuff there's not been that that link up across different trades that might be in and now we're getting that it's been clearly said that they all need that fire support system putting in so it's maybe um a level above that on some of the bigger projects where the architects are involved and electrical design companies manufacture mechanical companies as well on your simple domestic jobs when you're just going to be there doing a rewire Obviously, you're in total control of that generally, so you can manage it at a more local and simple level. But yeah, I thought that was a nice, nice change just to see put in there that we're not having everything dumped on us like usual. It seems to be a bit of pushback in other places. So I thought that was that was a good thing. Um, another one that's sort of bonkers, really, but it is a change. The three meter rule for a socket in a bathroom is now two and a half meters. <laughs> That's I'm just to get a bigger bath now. Yeah, uh, that was that was a strange one. That 500 mil must make all the difference towards electrical safety. Maybe eventually we're going to kind of inch closer every edition. And it, I know in we'll India, be, we'll be 20 mil off the edge of the bath in a few. Two in India, it's quite popular. In India, they have a 10 mil, 10 milliamp RCBO socket outlet fits in a double box that goes next to your sink in your bathroom. Why don't we just cut down all this rubbish about reducing it 50 centimeters every five years? Just go right. If it's on a 10 million pass day and it's specifically made for the bathroom, you can have it. Because, because I don't, there we go. Because we, have to harmonize, we have to harmonize our documents, and it's definitely not a regulation that kept somebody in a job. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose so. But it just seems like it just it's so old out now, isn't it? Like, if I want to commit suicide, I get a long leading to get a toaster in the bath. You know what I mean? It's brilliant. Like, <laughs> It's just like it's, it's just an old out rule now. It's just such an old out rule. Some stuff we need to push through and get out of the way and stop living in the sixties. When that rule came out, you couldn't, you legitimately couldn't take anything in the bathroom. You'd kill yourself, wouldn't you? Easily. Yeah. But nowadays, these long leads and extension leads and iPhone longs that are four foot long. Why don't we just make it safe to use to discourage non-safe practices? Why we don't just nip it in the bud and go right? Ten milliamp socket outlet, bosh, but. And since we're on the Kentish Channel, we're obviously definitely not condoning the use of long lead extensions in the bath to go and try when you're at home. No, definitely. Yeah. Battery, battery power only in the bathroom. Yeah. The best and someone did, get, someone did get slotted, didn't they, with a long iPhone lead? So don't think it's low voltage, lads or ladies. Yeah, you can't use anything like that in the bath, any kind of cable. No, that's it. Yeah, especially when you've got some of those hooky chargers off Amazon. Yeah, chunky chargers that aren't safety isolating. Pelv. So one of the other changes, I'm going to leave testing to the end because there's a few changes there. So there's a couple of others I want to pick up on. Then I'll ask you guys if you've got any other extra ones. But I've got the solar section, which seems to have massively grown. And I guess that ties in a little bit maybe with the domestic electrician apprenticeship where that's going to have a solar specific section as well. And we can maybe speak a bit about the link up with regulations and what's taught in colleges, because I know Craig had a point to make about that as well. So solar seems to have grown. I've not read it. I've not really looked into it. I'm not involved in solar, but it's a bigger section. I th yeah, and having not read it in full either, very quickly, briefly, I think it's important that the conversations about it's not all regs yet. It is very much an exploratory chapter about going on this journey and understanding it better before we start putting the regs and stuff in place. 
I think there's talk around having to put earth electrodes in on new installations and not putting foundation earths in and all of them come together, I guess, in this journey we're going on in that avenue. And I haven't read enough about it yet, but I'm curious what the term new installation means for earth electrodes. Is that every time you do a board change, it's a new installation because you're producing an EIC? Or is it new build properties when solar and things are being put in at the point of build? And I don't know, is the honest answer. I haven't read enough to know the answer to that, but it's interesting, I think, to see where it goes and how it develops. Yeah, traditionally, we used to kind of have your new installers, your new build, and then refurbs were kind of not quite considered that. So I don't know how that was intended to be interpreted, but as Craig said, Earth electrodes have kind of taken precedence over the um, foundation earthing system where we'd be having to go and inspect that that had been done before an install even takes place and the hassles and arrangements around doing all of that, they've just decided to go with earth electrodes, it seems, and that's what's covered in that. I that wonder problem. if that's old technology. I wonder if whether the foundation earthing was foundation earthing properly in the earth in the foundations was a was a solution at the time and then. I hear people raving about these conjugates and all that. They're apparently really good. So maybe they've, I'm wondering if they didn't put it in because there are better things you can use. So I, I, in the foundation. I asked that question to someone who I respect this morning and they said to me, well, you're then basically asking builders to put in earthen for electrical systems if mm. they're putting it in the foundations. And actually, when you look at it on that angle, and no disrespect to any builders, I think every trade has their place, is... That's fair. How many times do we all see moaning going on about kitchen fitters and builders installing this and installing that? We kind of can't pick and choose what they can do and what they can't. It's kind of... So I thought that opinion of someone was a just reason for why it probably didn't make its mm. way in. But there could it, be many more technical, complex reasons, I'm sure. I think that'll come out... Uh, rods are crap, I think, aren't they? They're just a terrible idea to stick a spike in the ground. Foundation Earth, I'd always thought it seems like a great idea if it's done properly, but it seems like if it degrades, what do you do? You can't put it in again, can you? Whereas some of the new technologies like mats and this disc thing and that, they probably are more replaceable. Or they've got to make a bit of a mess. So I'd be interested to follow that one up. So I, I was sure that would go in, to be honest. It's an unknown, isn't it? I think when they go to that extent of Earth foundations on an entire house, you can get big overlaps in the mass of earth as well, where you can start affecting neighbouring properties in way that you that you might not have traditionally had cause of problems. Mm. I think there's factors there as well, and they've maybe just decided to sit on that one a little bit longer. I'm sure it'll eventually. eventually on that whole section, obviously, PV is going to be in every house. Battery storage is going to be in every house. Having your own earth is going to be in every house. So there's loads of legs left on them yet as we go along. Eventually, yeah. it's going to get to the point where it's a click together system, isn't it? Mm. PV and solar and battery storage is adapting so quickly, it's going to get to the point, I think, where the solar and battery installs are kind of plug and play and off you go kind of situation. And that moves on to sound of the prosumer side of things in Chapter 82. But before we get to that, I wanted to speak a little bit about how the regs are kind of linked in with colleges, because we spoke off air about this, Craig, just before we came on and speaking a little bit about that solar section as well and how this is kind of taught at a college level, do you think there's an issue there with the way we are linking up regulations with what's actually been taught? Not, I guess, just in the college, but out of the workplace as well. Do you think that's a bit of an issue we've got? I just think, personally, from what I've seen over the years, is that people are looking at regs as 
I did my 18th edition regulation exam as part of my apprenticeship or as part of my full-time course or whatever it may be and then it's kind of left to the side and we're not and it may be happening elsewhere but in my experience we're not sitting talking about okay you've done this bit of testing or you've you've used this set of clips why where is it in your reg book where is it in your on-site guide where are you putting this to the real world and then with employers on site then saying well yeah great you've done your first set of continuity testing for me why how long's the cable run what's the calculation and i know there's an element of work and practice and we've got time constraints and all of those other things that need to take place but the more we start to do this the better we will understand the better we will start to improve people's learning and help them on those journeys which for me can only start to increase the industry and help it down some of these specific paths because installs are getting more complex and if you don't learn it in a workshop in college and you don't learn it when you're in your first year say on site as an apprentice when do you learn it and it's how we start to link those parts together much more closely to allow for more effective output at the end of the day that's such a powerful point i think that's a really i mean we're talking about the regs here on this podcast the amendment two of the regs but if we're not going to give we're speaking to apprentices here, if we're not going to give them the practical application of that at work and kind of push back to them, well, this is why we're doing that on this install because it meets this regulation. And in the college as well, when you're, you're working through the theory side of things and teaching the science and principles and whatever else, how that can relate into the wider regs, I think that's something we should definitely be doing more of. Simple things. I hear people saying all the time, well, how, why am I learning about resistors in parallel? Or do you not do insulation resistance testing? Yeah. You know, and it's making those links. And if you are an apprentice listening to this, go and do this. Even if it means do it in your own time, it will be worth it in the end. You know, go and look at this information, get an understanding. It will help you in the future. It's a great but idea to say, if you are an apprentice and you can't afford to borrow these, that this blue one will be cheap. If you can learn your way around this book and the way it's formatted and laid out, You've only got to adapt to the new regs. These will be dirt cheap, won't they? Is that am I am I telling people we, things wrong? Learning to use the book and the feel of it and how it's written, you can still do with an old one, reasonably cheap. I appreciate they are expensive books for for young yeah. uh, young apprentices, but that's just how it is, I'm afraid. But we've had we've had an approach actually from one of the CPSs offering a, a batch of those blue books. And I'm trying to get them upgraded to brown ones, but um there might be something coming there with apprentice one to one. And we have got the 12 actually. There's 12 brown books to give away. If you've not entered, that's on Twitter and LinkedIn and um, Instagram. You can go and enter 12 brown books to give out to apprentices. So we do have that one to try and get those books into your hands. But equally, sorry, just before we move on, if you do a bit of research, the, EC, the ECA have some online training programs and packages and discounts. I know that they are linked with some other companies. I know that NAPIT do similar things. I'm sure the NSC do. If you go and start looking around this, I think you had the IET on the on a podcast a while ago, and they were talking about discounts and things they do for apprentices. Yep. If people go and look, they will find a way to be able to do this and get that help. So I think it's worth exploring those avenues for that. And it's something I feel is often overlooked and needs a bit more focus on it. I'm not saying everybody has to be a regs buff, but you need to understand the basics of what you're working in and what you're doing to be safe. Yeah, I think maybe some of the, the IET and stuff could do something where they ask the electrical contractors who are buying these books, if you stuck another five quid in, we'll give so many books to a college or whatever. That's something I'd support as an employer. They buying. should be free. They should be free for a tra- apprentice and a story. The trainer should yeah. be free. It's just, it's, I know the IT will 
we'll have it somewhere so we can't do it yeah if kids are at college trainees at college it should be free and we should as an industry we should make that happen because it's just selfish basically journey says it well so we'll move <laughs> on to prosumer chapter 82 which sort of follows on to speaking about um solar this is kind of where you're going to be generating and consuming electricity all in one system and we've got this new chapter chapter 82 um, which kind of details that and what the intention is as things move forward. Obviously, they're going to be kind of limited in their installs at the minute. But as Jamie alluded to just a while ago, that's going to grow as time moves along when everyone's going to be having solar panels, heat pumps, battery storage, EVs, and you're going to be connected to the grid and connected to your battery system. And all of that is included in that wonderful new chapter. Have either of you two skimmed through that one at all? <laughs> I haven't even got the book. I'm just making other stuff as I go along. <laughs> I think no, the concept is fairly similar, though, isn't it? Like, they mm. spoke about island and modern stuff in the Amendment 1 of the 18th edition, and they kind of just, from what I understand, carrying that on a little bit and exploring a bit further in there to see pretty much what we need to do in the future. Yeah, I had a skim through it earlier, and that's sort of where it's at, I think. And again, as this evolves, we're just talking on the day this has all been released. We can come back and revisit some of these subjects in more detail. We're just trying to give you a concise overview mm. at an apprentice level. Um, and that's kind of covered off the main topics I've got, aside from testing and the two changes I've noticed within the testing. One's to do with the, the forms and the dropping of the five times RCD results. The comments box that I know Jamie's excited about that's been added. And oh, yeah. the, the schedule of inspections that I am very grateful for without all of those tick boxes that you don't have to use. You can choose to use them, but you don't have to. And the change in IR testing, so the actual test process where you now have to do that 500-volt testing, even when you've got sensitive equipment connected, the idea is you do that before that goes into circuit, and then once it is there, you can verify it later on at 250 volts, which is sort of what we've done as a company for a long time anyway, but they've actually defined that in the regulations now. Anything you guys have got to add on the testing side of things? I just think it's better. I just think it's it's more concise and checking that the circuit is built to a better standard than what you would have been testing at 250 volts because you chose not to disconnect or said you couldn't disconnect, whatever it may be, has to help make the installation safer, in my opinion. And I think anything that makes it safer is a good thing. I'll come back to the forms once Jamie's had a shot about the testing because I think the forms are helpful. Um, I've, I've been tested at 250 volts for years because I ain't buying some of the new cooker. So finally, I'm legal <laughs> because I, <laughs> I've not been megaring stuff at 500 volts. I'm obviously on a new job, but I've been megaring no one's installation at 500 volts anyway. I'm not, I'm not buying some of the new iPhone or cooker and all that. So I think glad they finally brought that in. But it's talking about at the point, isn't it? Before the cooker and things are connected, actually, the point of doing your build. So if you're, if because testing doesn't always have to be done at the very end of no, no, an and that's, a lot of people so, don't understand that. So if you are, you know, if we're going as simple as my understanding takes it, you put all your cabling in for your downlights, but don't yet connect the downlights to the end of them. You test it all at five hundred volts. Then when you've connected all your downlights, you test them at two hundred and fifty to confirm everything's still okay. Once you've connected your downlights into circuit, knowing that you'd tested it at a higher value before you got to that point, and therefore you've kind of doubly ensured the safety of the standard by making sure it's working at a higher voltage than 
what is going to be running at is my kind of brief. Yeah, taking it away from the discussion at like kind of what it actually is at apprentice level, applying that in the real world, there's obviously a cost as a contractor to do those tests. And the worry is that some of the less um, conscientious contractors perhaps will skip that entirely, whereas some other ones will be doing it and charging for it because, you know, you have to be connected to the earthing system. You still have to have all of that in place so you can do your insulation resistance tests even at that first stage pre the final equipment getting connected. So it's not just a case of mega in your final circuits. There are some other aspects to it, and I think that's one to watch, certainly at CPS level, if they're going to monitor anything in terms of their contractors, that's something that I think they should be keeping a close eye on, that that gets done properly. And I think it's still the concept on the boxes, although I haven't looked at them yet, that says it's still lives to earth. It is both lives yeah. connected to earth. No, they're not different. There's three boxes now in the other sheet. Is that right? I think so. so. We'll, um, we'll, we'll go through the testing now, if we want, on the... Should we look at the schedule of inspections now? I think it's like 14 yeah. tick boxes, I think, isn't it? First, so that's kind of been massively reduced where you did have um, endless pages of tick boxes. And it's typical default response of most electricians out on site would be to go into auto tick mode and fly down those sheets. I've seen loads of them where there's like backup generator boxes ticked and you're in a domestic house without any kind of backup generation. The only problem with this new sheet is, oh, sorry, the only problem with this new sheet is it does stop your spotting balance because previously that would happen. Yes. You could you could tell you're dealing with an idiot. Um, but that's gone now. You have to do it in another way. <laughs> but but I'm so happy with these new forms. It's unreal. I think they're... they're, they're um, so what's your, what's your favourite new change to the forms then, away from just the... Just all of it. Just the yeah. fact that everyone's... I'm, I actually bothered to write on the the draft report comment that these forms are fucking useless. My test forms have been, my test forms have been two sheets for 10 years. The first sheet is for the, can become a schedule. And the second sheet is all the crap the electricians want to read. And it literally looks like they've read my comments on exactly what I wanted. And at Fair Play IT, you've managed to roll just shitting glitter on this one because they're really nice. I like them. I think they're good. I've, I've had to go and buy Adobe Acrobat today at considered cost myself to read all my test forms, but I'm not bothered because the, the load's better. So, yeah, fair one. I like them. And if you want to download them for free, you can do so on the IET website also. But for me, the simplicity of it, and it's not to get it misunderstood, the schedule of inspections not being three pages long doesn't mean you're not still looking at the same things. You are still signing to say that you agree with the compliance of everything that is in those schedules of inspection. And the IET webinar this morning, I think... Um, actually suggested still having a copy with you to go down and go through and check your compliance. And it's clarifying that this is just for installation certificates only. This is not for EICRs. EICR still has the old schedule of inspections with them. So actually having 14 boxes, it means you say, I have checked everything I need to check with my engineering judgment under the points of those installs. And I'm happy to sign to say that that's done. I think mm -hmm. makes a lot more sense. Because let's be honest, Whose customer ever knew what anything said on those three pages of those schedules of inspections anyway? Also, <laughs> the, the, if anyone's looked at them like I do, um, finally, they scale properly. All the pages used, it's not like they're not squished up or anything like that. The whole pages used, previously I had to print them all out 115% to make them writable, but it looks like they've actually bothered to, they've all scaled out, they're using the old page, they're nice and clear and concise and flow through in a checklist format. Um, I think they're a really good effort. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. I don't know. Maybe I didn't remember sleep something because they are really, really good. Brand and, uh, I think a good form, a good checklist. 
as I've talked about the 2001 podcast, having a good form that flows through nicely in a sequential manner makes the testing better because there's less room for confusion. Yeah, fair yeah. one, IT on that. I agree. Sorry, go on. I was going to say, moving on with the schedule of test results, what's interesting is the separation for the overcurrent protective device and then the RCD device on there as well. Okay, is that a change on there? I've not actually had a great look at that. I've just kind of skimmed and seen the comments box that's so dropped in. And on the first page of what is the two-page document now, when you're going along with your circuit details, it's talking about your conductor details, then it asks for what's your overprotective device details, and then it asks for what's your RCD protective device details on there as well. And I know in a lot of installations it will be RCBOs, but... If you're now talking about an installation where it's a split load board or something, for example, that you're putting in, you're having to mm. identify both types of protection, which I think is a good thing to be identified because otherwise it just used to say 60898 MCB type B 32 amp, whatever, and no RCD protection was recognised or addressed other than the tick sheet at the end yeah. to say you'd push the test button. Um, so having this on the front page where you're having to note down... The different types and something I find helpful because I can never remember them all is along the bottom of it. It's got all the different codes for the types of wiring that you should be putting on your test sheet when you're filling out these certificates. So I think that's <laughs> two helpful things rather than trying to remember what all the different codes are for the wiring. I don't want to pick myself up, but I emailed my draft my own test form, which has that feature. I'm absolutely positive someone's seen my test sheets. Are you taking I'll credit for this, Jamie? Is this Jamie Blurton's test sheet? It's uncanny how similar these are to my test sheets that have been through about 5,000 iterations. You've been well plagiarised for free, mate. You should have charged I'm not, for that. I'm not bothered. If it makes life, everyone's life easier, great, because as you'll see, on the first sheet, there's no bollocks that your customer don't care about. If you put that on the front of the board, then go, oh, third one down to my cooker. And all the crap for us is on the back page. It's, it's brilliant. It's a yeah. really good sheet. I'm really pleased oh. about that. That's always been something I've had, had a gripe with as well, that we want that information as electricians when we're coming to do our EICIs later on of what some of the finer details might be. But in terms of the consumers, I think we need to make a much better effort at getting mm. the point over to them more clearly. And this sounds like a positive move towards that. Sorry, Craig, what was you going to say? I was just going to say there's some, there's even some, because I'm looking at this for the first time now, if I'm honest, I didn't look at it earlier. Um, they've simplified the top boxes as well. So you've literally got distribution board detail asking you to identify about SPDs and what types you've used as tick boxes. And then you go over and then you're talking about your circuit references and, you know, it just makes it a lot more streamlined, a lot easier and details of your test instruments. You're not having to fill in this box has this LED indicator on it, which means you can't do this test on this circuit and so on and so forth. It seems like they've just made them a lot more user-friendly for the install that you're actually doing, which... Number of points is back as well, which I like. Yeah, is that one in there? That, that, that's, that in that's, there. That's, that stayed on the um, Napit forms we'd used anyway, but I think it did get pulled from some of the other forms I'd seen. Uh, and one uh, thing I really like is they are incredibly simple tabulated forms. So if you want to copy that in Excel, which I suggest a lot of people do because it's a really cheap way of doing forms, you can copy that in Excel, put more rows in so you get more circuits on it, and it's dead easy to copy, which is, is quite a nice. Uh, yeah, just a dead good simplification. It's really I'm, I'm going to stop now and get too excited. You're usually yeah, sitting in the IET off, mate. I'm not so being you're... negative like I like. I'm <laughs> going to stop now because I'm literally sucking this form off, to be honest. It's embarrassing. Uh, so before, before we finish <laughs> and move on to one last thing, there is another change that I did notice that I want to mention, and that's all the stickers on the front of consumer units. 
You no longer have to plaster them in the stickers unless you choose to. You can do it in a handover pack instead. I think the only ones you have to have on there now are warnings of dangerous voltages, all of the ones to do with your RCD tests and the periodic inspection tests don't need to be on there anymore, is my understanding. Yeah, I think just multiple supplies as well, isn't it? So if you've got yeah. solar and stuff in the property, then but it's got to be it's got to be better, I think, hasn't it? Like it's just having this set pack and having a decent handover pack made up. Everything just about keeping safety but saving electricians time. And if you've got those set templates which you can use effectively and it doesn't impact the installation, then mm. I don't see that being a bad thing. We need I'm to dead really... oh, sorry, Mark. Go on, Jamie. Go for it. I, 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 as a dyslexic, I'm dead arsey about labelling. I have, I like certain bits of a label to be bigger and smaller because I like, I know how to design a label that visually attracts people to it, especially on like big switch gear. And the fact that when people put up too many safety signs, people just ignore them, and it's ridiculous. And that was the same with the boards. If you put something on there that's important, people generally read it. When you had that swarm of labels on there, all this crap on, no one was reading it. Nothing was getting done, and I'm, I'm really glad to see that one come in because now we can put on stuff on that's genuinely useful. And I, exactly. the one thing that really gets my nerves is, is bad labelling. But um, yeah, I'm glad they've got rid of that because it's just too much. Exactly. To that. With. Totally agree, mate. Exactly that because you made a fantastic point that if you've got a board full of labels, ain't no one reading them. It's all they're looking at is the circuit chart details at the end of the day and what's tripped off. Possibly the retest date on the EICR if we're lucky. And electricians attending would generally know what those devices are and what the dangers are within that board. So it makes a lot of sense, I think, just to sort that out mm. and have it in a pack that hopefully stays in a little folder near the consumer unit slash main intake and doesn't end up in the bin the second you leave. So that's uh, one to watch. Is there any other bits of the changes that you guys want to touch on? Just my favourite one of all from the EFEX one is we all forgot to talk about the pink, uh, the pink flyweed on the... Uh, oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> You know, don't expect cream anymore. Must be pink. Is that So functional earth is now pink. Yes. Even though it's been cream forever. Yeah, there's all sorts of rumours as to why that happened that they couldn't produce <laughs> cream colours anymore or whatever. I don't understand. Oh, the yeah, yeah. But... If it if if it is fair one, but it just I think it's Saren Cranis. He loves pink. He's chief technical officer of the ECA <laughs> now, and all of a sudden we've got pink leads creeping in. His influence is definitely involved there. But yeah, that, that's that's kind of it, I think, isn't it? Obviously, the AFDDs, we didn't come back to speak about that, so we'll close on that. It's the big topic of the whole thing, and that they are just going to kind of be um, a, a shell in high-rise buildings or care homes, uh, places of multiple occupancy. They're not going to be a shell in all of the domestic settings, but as Craig said at the beginning of this whole thing, they are recommended, which is should. So, yeah, <laughs> read into that what, Remember, what you will. Remember when they invented the internal combustion engine? Yeah, it was dirty, smelly, drank loads of fuel, and now it, you can run a car around, around a, a couple of miles on their cup of fuel. Yeah, and that's same with anything. Uh, when stuff comes out, it's always a bit shonky. Well, this is the RCDs again, and uh, all the people that moan about FDDs are just coming up with crap. They don't want to see the trade move forward, I think. So just think of it like that. Everything's a bit shonky at the start, and it gets better and more useful to us. I guess my final thoughts would be don't listen to this as your only point of reference. This is just three <laughs> blokes having looked at the book and chewing the fat over what we've picked up throughout the course of the day attending different webinars. But go and do your research. Questionable as to whether you need to go and do a course or not on it. 
there's people out there who will be selling them already, I'm sure. Mm, definitely, go and, <laughs> definitely go and do your reading and your research around this in more detail. Mm. And look, ask questions. Come and give us a shout. We'll try and help you out as best we can. But I don't think, should we touch on that? Because I, I don't think you need a course. This should be... a. a if you no, you don't. You should just be self-learning. This, this is the kind of thing that electricians do: learn about doing technology. That if someone's trying to sell you a three-day course and can you'll be magically great at these regs, they're lying to you. This is the kind of thing you sweat over. We've said tonight, ain't we? We don't know about some stuff. We haven't read that yet. That's how you should feel. You shouldn't be expecting to know the know the regs today. So if yeah, anyone's trying to sell you a course, a, change, fuck off. A, a full change <laughs> of edition, I tend to do one. The updates, yeah. amendments, not so much. You just do that through through CPD. Unless the CPS is a mandate in that I have to, that's the way I've always approached it. And it does kind of lead on to a question, actually, that might be applicable to some apprentices who are in training at the minute. You know, are they going to start immediately getting taught this new amendment as far as you two understand? Or is this going to be like through that six-month window that we spoke about? Is there a bit of a, a swing over in dates? Because I guess there's people in the middle of training who've been learning to Amendment 1, and now we've got Amendment 2. How does that kind of play out? I guess it depends on what context. So as far as the so as far as the current five three five seven or two three five seven or two three six five, whatever variation of the um electrical course you want to go down does, the the building of it still doesn't include things like RCDs and stuff anyway so it's not directly set exactly against the regs as to how it's run you know there's very specific circuits that they are asked to build to show an understanding of different types of cable and different types of containment systems rather than as to exactly what it complies to however that being said when it comes to then within the 5357 or the 2357 which are the current apprenticeships or the adult nvq option you have to undertake the 18th edition exam. And as part of that 18th edition exam, that's very much going to depend on your centre and when you do the exam. If you do the exam after September, you're doing Amendment 2. If you do the exam tomorrow, it will depend on where you are as to whether they're getting you to do the Amendment 1 or the Amendment 2 exam because we have the option to run both over the course of the next six months. Um, That'd be a harsh gig tomorrow, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, if you learn to reference, you'll be all right. But just on the flip of that, I forgot I was going to say now, if you're an apprentice, sorry, I think probably as guys, probably where 16th edition was, where was you both 16th edition? Yeah, it was. Which was a, it was a long edition. I managed to get through my apprenticeship with that. It'd be a change. Um, them days are gone now. I think this is a three-year event. So no apprentice who doing a, doing a proper apprenticeship four year long is going to get away with it. And, you might as well get for it in your friendship because this is going to be regular now. This is something you've just got to deal with because stuff's moving faster, stuff's moving on quicker, change is going to become more common. So don't think you've been shut on. This is just going to be standard now that we've, we've changed every three years, I think. But also it doesn't matter if you're an apprentice or not because we're all sat here. We've all been sat on webinars and forums and stuff throughout the course of today going, we have to look at the amendments. We have to look at the changes. We have to learn mm. them. Like, it is just part of being... Are regulated, and I know that term can be interpreted many different ways, but a regulated industry where every so often we have to make sure we are up to date based on new technologies coming out. And I, I personally think that's a good thing. I think you just have mm. to make your own choices and your own decisions about what you need to do to deem yourself to be updated and competent. 
while you're an apprentice and you're like, oh, I've got to read the book. Wait till you get to the real world. You're reading manuals and instructions and manufacturer specific things and it'll pair into significance of reg change, won't it, when you get into the anything like design rope. This is just standard day in, day out fear. Yeah, I think that's an important point that it might seem a bit of a daunting change, but this happens very often. It's going to be your first experience of it at apprentice level. Don't get too bogged down in it. Take in the short little videos that are out there. You can watch, obviously, you've been watching us, guys, if you got to this stage. As I said, there's the eFix video that's only 10 minutes. The learning line was the same. There's loads of little handy leaflets, actually. I think the NIC have dropped one out that was maybe 14, 15 pages long today. Let me so get one. That's what, what, what I want to do, Mark, I'm not trying to plug my own channel here, but um, previously with trainees, I'd give them a document, an email document with loads of links on to videos. Then I realised that as soon as I left the course, that document was useless. So what I've now started doing, is I've realised I can put playlists of all people's videos on YouTube. I've started doing that for trainees. So on my YouTube now, there's loads of different playlists that are just other people's videos, not mine. So, for example, all your stuff's on it. Um, there's, there's one for the 18th edition specifically. So if I ask anything I think is interesting or useful, for the 18th, I've been adding it to that playlist. So it's like a centralised video library, if you like, of stuff that I think is good. I need to get this updated on the Apprentice One to One YouTube. So I'll link to Jamie's channel, bottom of the air, I'll create a little playlist with the link over so you can go and check that out. I think Craig's just run off and um, hopefully he's got some exciting literature in front of him, I think. Yeah, so... If you go out, and I'm not, you know, promoting order by any way, but I signed up on their website to their updates. And as of today, they sent me all these brochures out this morning in, in relation to their products and updating towards the amendment too. They all come free in the post. You know, so the first one in my hand is their AFDD and RCBO update for them as a company and how they are helping me to... You've got ones about consumer units, different circuits. There's literally five or six free manufacturers bits of information on there for ticking on their website that you'll have updates sent to you and that turned up in the post as well. In real physical paper form? Yeah. Fair play, Luda. Fair play. <laughs> Not many people do that nowadays. So, uh, yeah, they, they come in the post this morning, like bang on time, bang on tune. So even if you can't afford reg books or whatever, there's other information out there that you can get. I haven't opened them yet. I don't know how good they are, but I'm sure they'll be helpful nonetheless and it's a start to looking at a manufacturing a manufacturer and what they're doing in compliance with the amendment too yeah great stuff and the, obviously there's the iet webinar there's the eton one that i've watched today i'll link them all in the show notes the nic pdf i'll find a link to that as well because i've heard good things about it other than that is there anything you guys want to add before we wrap this up because i think we've gone on long enough oh, if anyone wants you? to send me a free book I'm accepting <laughs> donations. <laughs> the competition on the Apprentice One to One Instagram. If you want to start your training, I'll, I'll, again, I'll, I'll be a big boy and buy my own tomorrow <laughs> or something. I just don't, I don't need it yet. I'm I'm too busy looking at all this thing that all, well, everyone else said. I'll sit down and read. But yeah, um, yeah, no, I ain't got anything good to say. Sorry. That's fair enough. <laughs> Thank you both for coming on and talking through this with me. We will come back and speak about some other projects. We've got a little group chat going where we're coming up with ideas of things to speak about. If you've got anything you want us to discuss that's going to help you as an apprentice, get in touch. We're happy to do so. We have been reading the comments on the other videos as well that have fed into some of the ideas we've got. One is to do with resettlement of people leaving the forces. We are going to speak about that soon. I've had another message about that tonight, actually. I think that's a really popular episode to bring onto the channel. Otherwise, thank you both again, and we will see you on the next episode of the Apprentice One to One podcast. Bye. Bye.